0: This is how a unicorn walks. And this is how a unicorn talks. This is how a unicorn hoops. This is how a unicorn oops. This is how a unicorn struts. Oh, watch you shake your unicorn butts. Now you're in the unicorn no. Soon you'll be a unicorn pro. Anya Pierce, uh, I do believe that friendship (laughs) is magic. uh, And the words of My Little Pony are words to live by. Especially today.
1: Well, I think every day, quite frankly, that there are mental images coming which are going to be really hard to shift for the rest of the duration. <laughs> are you suggesting that,
0: that watching me shake my unicorn butt is an indelible image that will never leave you?
1: <laughs> Pretty much, yeah.
0: Welcome to the A to Z of happiness with Anya Pierce and me, Mark Stedman. Join us as we unpack the science of happiness one letter at a time. This week, it's B for Belonging.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna confess something from the get-go. This is something I really struggle with. Mm. Um, you know, I, I I would love to have these conversations when I go, yeah, yeah, this is this is what I do, this is what I know, aren't I amazing at this? No, this one is like I've included belonging because I I struggle with it mm-hmm. like a lot. Um and it's one of the favorite topics of one of my favorite authors and researchers, Benet Brown. Um you know, one of the reasons why I, I wrestle with belonging and investigate my lack of it, my sense, my internal sense of lacking it uh, so much is because of something that she first identified in her first book, actually, The Gift of Imperfection. Um, you know, she says, of this I'm certain. After collecting thousands of stories, I'm willing to call this a fact. A deep sense of love and belonging is an irreducible need of all women, men and children. We are biologically, cognitively, physically and spiritually wired to love, be loved and to belong. When those needs are not met, we don't function as we were meant to. We break, we fall apart, we numb, we ache, we hurt others, we get sick. There are certainly other causes of illness, numbing, and hurt, but the absence of love and belonging will always lead to suffering. And I think this is why it becomes so foundational for me as, as a core part of happiness. You know, we are a we're, we're species, we're a social species, mm. you know? <laughs> and it is this idea of an irreducible need. And, you know, just reading through her work, you know, she talks about how it's intrinsically tied into to love, actually. It's very hard to feel like you belong somewhere or to have this experience of belonging without it being tied into a, our experience of love and love as a practice rather than as a, you know, a slogan on a T-shirt. So... <laughs> <laughs> there is...
0: Th- Belonging is so intrinsic, so important to us and to our, I guess, mental, psychological survival Mm. that I feel like the absence of it or the fear of the lack of it, the fear of being outcast, the fear of being ostracised or not part of a group can lead us to do things that expose our uglier sides, which I find really, really fascinating. There's so much that we do because we want to prove our fealty or prove that we are part of a tribe, a community a group
1: mm. uh you know in in my
0: improv in my my early improv days, we talked about in group and out group stuff and mm. how exclusionary comedy is is tends to be more aggressive and it tends to it pushes people away and mm. anything that that is more inclusive where everyone's in on the joke and everyone feels like. You know, it's it almost gets into like punching up, punching down. Like there's so much yeah. in there that mm. all comes to we we just we all wanna feel like we're 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 part of the same whole.
1: Yeah. Or or at least part
0: of a hole that we can call ours. That's hole with a W.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you just you know, I'm gonna touch on this in a moment, but you know, you're talking about, you know, wanting to show our fealty to, to, you know, to, to, to doing all these things. You know, this, she also says in the same book, um, you know, The Gifts of Imperfection. You know, most of us use the terms fitting in and belonging interchangeably. And she says, like many of you, I'm really good at fitting in. We know exactly how to hustle for approval and acceptance. We know what to wear, what to talk about, how to make people happy, what not to mention. We know how to chameleon our way through the day. And one of the biggest really surprises in my research was learning that fitting in and belonging are not the same thing. And in fact, fitting in gets in the way of belonging. Fitting in is about assessing a situation and becoming who you need to be accepted. Belonging, on the other hand, doesn't require us to change who we are. It requires us to be who we are.
0: Yeah, there is, a, there is probably a... Uh, if, 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 if my English... Was betterer. I would probably have a sense <laughs> of the right types of word for this, but there's a, almost a sort of a noun versus a uh, not adjective. The other one, adverb. Uh, no, no uh, a noun versus a verb. That's uh, it was literally verb was the word yeah. I was after. <laughs> About to 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 belong or or the sense of belonging as a as an adjective as a a state rather than the act. Of fitting in and that's that's really interesting like the fitting in is an action belonging is something that we are we belong and like like that quote says like we we don't have to do anything if we truly belong we belong hopefully for for most or many of us at least we belong with we don't have to fit in with our family there are issues or or there are moments where we don't where we're not where we are different from them and so we might not fit in with our family but we belong if if we are fortunate enough to do so
1: yeah I, yeah just picking up on the fortunate enough to do so mm. you know my 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 background um and having spoken to a number of you know people who have uh complicated childhoods i think that's the most diplomatic mm. way to put it um a lot of our coping mechanisms that we our adaptations to adverse experiences in childhood actually are to fit into a family where we do not feel we belong. And actually our um, innate gifts, our innate sensitivities, our um, innate quirks and, and differences are considered to be a threat to the cohesiveness of a family. And a lot of masking can actually develop, um, to, uh, create this, this pretense of fitting in. Um, and yet a lot of people actually, you know, I, I speak to people who are in the LGBTQIA polyamorous, et cetera, et cetera, um, communities. And, you know, they do not feel they belong in the family because you know the belonging is not an option only fitting in is offered mm. and i think you know in an ideal world we would all have a sense of belonging you know our mutual one of our mutual friends lana yelenev you know talks a lot about um our ancestral connections and sometimes you know it can be easier to connect with an ancestral lineage rather than an immediate family um But I do wonder whether a sense of not belonging actually starts with the family unit, um, and is then amplified elsewhere. It kind of takes me into like attachment theory work, you know, very very much. And if you have a secure secure attachment with your family, if you have good enough parenting, then you are going to internalise that sense of belonging because you are accepted exactly as you are without having to to change and there's going to be good enough attunement. There're going to be times where you know no, no one can be attuned to another person wholly and completely all the time 24/7. Um, but it's the it's the ruptures and repairs aspect when that attunement is misaligned how you know the caregiver then repairs that break, that rupture, which is where trust and this internal sense of Things can be difficult, but then they can can be okay again um, in relationship with another rather than what happens in more challenging situations where things are not okay. And rather than being able to be soothed by the person who I would normally expect to be soothed by, the person to whom we have a biological sense of belonging with, um, we either have to self-soothe and detach or, we, we suppress and we numb and dissociate. Um, you know, we, we develop these stories that explain what's happening, which puts us in a p- position of um, being the perpetrator. Because mm. otherwise, the idea that the person who brought us into the world, who, who looks after us, who loves us, who cares us, is actually acting in a way which proves otherwise. In fact, possibly the, the direct opposite means that we, we cannot hold that truth. Going back to our previous, thing, our previous uh, episode on acceptance, we can only accept the truth that we can bear. And if a child relies on an adult for its sheer survival, it cannot bear the truth that the adult is harming it. It is much easier to think, oh, I am bad, rather than my mum or my dad is being bad to me, etc.
0: So, parking childhood... Mm. Um, because, I mean, I say parking childhood. I mean, <laughs> take the car out of park for a second. Um, <laughs> one of my earliest social memories is around belonging or a, a sense of lack of. Um, and I've been doing the, the uh, inner journeys, the inner work at the moment to try and figure out where that comes from. Mm. It feels like it's something internal because it's not something that I was – brought up to believe but i i remember being must only have been about five years old and in a methodist one of these little uh methodist church halls where a bunch of boys were running around doing a b- bunch of boys running around things
1: hmm.
0: um probably well i was gonna say probably football but when you're five just running around <laughs> is sort of what you do and going screaming that's kind of the thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i was sat on the sidelines terrified to go in mm. and i i remember that i remember seeing that and i remember being terrified to to go in years later in that same methodist hall i would mm-hmm. be 13 14 and speaking to uh, the guy who was with me then that uh 10 years previously Mm -hmm. and he'd said you were terrified because you thought the kids would laugh at you and Mm. that's not my memory that doesn't mean it didn't happen but it's it's interesting that that was what what he perceived and Mm. it's yeah it's you know trying to look at various things trying to look at attachment theory or various other things and trying to understand where this where this came from and it's something that i've known all my all of my life is at that difficulty now you and I were lucky enough to meet up uh, a couple of months ago and I felt a profound sense that I've not felt in any other time where I've been in any kind of congregation of, you know, seemingly like-minded individuals (laughs) where there absolutely was that sense of belonging. Mm. There just, there just was, and it was, it didn't, it almost didn't need to be said. I think maybe part of that was, the rituals that we underwent, but I don't think, really think it was. I think there was there was the warm welcome and and um, and a few other things, really. But yeah, it's it's it doesn't. It feels like it's not the kind of thing that can always be fixed, <laughs> or or, or it can be fixed once. And that now you understand how belonging works. It's <laughs> we have different tribes, and we have different uh, moments where we feel able to, uh, we we feel secure enough, we feel like we yeah like like the, the that we do belong but mm. in our work and in our lives you know that we talk about something that, that comes up so often in, in what we talk about is imposter syndrome yeah. and that stems or has to uh and i'm sure you'll 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 uh you'll you'll bring the kick, kick kick me the new knowledge here um that imposter syndrome has to come from a sense of or a feel of of lack of belonging
1: yeah, absolutely. And I'd love to, you know, and in, in just invite this question, you know, for, for if, you, if you're listening right now, you know, you know, where or when did you feel like you belonged or did not belong? Because a lot of it is our internal sense. Um, and, you know, there's a lovely exercise, which I've learned through acceptance and commitment training, where you draw a big capital letter, I kind of like, like a block outline of it. And then you just start jotting in little eyes of your different qualities, and so you know you might might put a little eye in for oh so I've got dark hair, you know I wear glasses, um, you know I I I was born in April, all these different things, and then you and, and then you think okay so what qualities do I have, you know, and then and it's really helpful if you have other people to help, you know, fill this in, and you just realise actually you know. Part of us feeling like an imposter is because we focus on one tiny little detail that we think sums us up, and so it might be inexperience, it might be um, some kind of personality difference. But if you know, if you look at us as a whole, all these other different qualities, you know, that just take, makes up a tiny fragment. Of the, 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 the richness <laughs> that we are. And I think, you know, my, my experiences of not belonging have very much come from me focusing on one small detail. Um, I, I, I'm thinking about, you know, three years ago, pretty much the day I went, I found out about, um, an entrepreneurial event, which was helping people, you know, take an idea, you know, and see it all the way through to launching it, and it was it was for free. It was in London. You know, I looked at the location. I thought, oh my goodness, I could actually get to it. But I was like, look, I'm dis- I'm disabled. I'm on benefits. You know, I don't belong in that place. <laughs> and I actually set forwarded it on to a friend. You know, said, oh, you should go to this. This looks amazing. And he was like, well, it does. I can't go. Why don't you go? Um, and I was like, cause, cause. Because, like, I had a whole list of reasons why I didn't feel like I belonged. Um,
0: I want to pick that, 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 is, <laughs> that. So that makes me think of something. Those moments when, and I think we, a lot of us do this, I've certainly noticed it myself. A friend invites you out to a party. Mm. and it comes to a couple of hours before and you're still in your pajamas from from the morning and you've been watching netflix and you just do not (laughs) feel like going out you just don't want you love your friend you you, it's one of those you're sure you'll have a nice time when you go out but you just can't and you just can't (laughs) and so what you end up doing is you text the person and you come up with a litany of reasons why (laughs) my car broke down and also i don't have a car and um my bike is now a (laughs) banana and i haven't got any legs anymore whereas if you actually just said i feel crap today i've got a cold or whatever um one reason because when it when it's in real life you, we pick one reason when it's honest, when it's true, and when we know that that's the case, we pick the one reason and we say, "Good or bad, this is why I can't come." And it sounds like we do the same things, or it sounds like in that instance you were doing the same thing to yourself. You were coming up with all of these different reasons when actually maybe you just felt a little bit more secure in your PJs watching Netflix, metaphorically.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think it's you know it's it's that thing of you know, justification. You know we mm. justify things. You know. Um, you know, we all have this, you know, negativity bias. And so we will find, as again, you know, we'll find one little detail and then we will create this whole story to, to support it. You know, in, at the end of it, you know, end of this, you know, back and forth with my friend, I went, screw it. I'm going to apply because it, it was like you had to apply. Even it wasn't even just like mm. buying a ticket or getting anything. You had to apply, and oh. I got in. And that was my first. That was my first experience of being in a room with uh, Carlos Saba and, and uh, Lawrence McHale. Ah, um, Who Ah, who
0: are the people who are responsible <laughs> for uh, for us knowing each other?
1: They are indeed. Yeah, that was my first in person experience of the Happy Startup School. Gosh, and 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 you know. And even for like the first year when I was a member, I didn't feel like of of the community, the online community, I didn't feel I could contribute because again, you know, I had this sense of, oh, I don't really belong here. And who am I to like message and talk and share with people and stuff. And I suppose this is kind of like the next kind of invitation I'd love to offer for people is, you know, where can you invite or create a greater sense of belonging for yourself? Because, you know, I know for myself, because I'm socially isolated, you know, I I have a lonely brain. You know, my brain is more hypervigilant to p- try and perceive uh, social rejection, social cues, um, and it being more sensitive to the possibility that um, I may be overstepping the mark. And this kind of, you know, hypervigilance can be, can be exhausting. And... You know, it's that thing of, I mean, you know, Brene Brown talks about it in one of her books. I think think it might be daring greatly, actually, you know, in her research about belonging. The only difference between people who thought they belonged and those who thought they didn't belong was the thought that you either belonged or didn't belong. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. You know, um, and so there was nothing in my experience that in any way, shape, or form, In that community said that I didn't belong there you know I've I've had instances where it's been explicitly said I I went to something which was uh about coaching and therapy and I got chat and and I just because I thought it was interesting um and they're the two worlds which I kind of meld together and I, and I was chatting to some at the end of the day. I'd had a lovely day, chatted to people, had some amazing conversations, you know, and I just off, off-handedly said to someone, you know, and I'm neither a coach or a therapist, and she was like, oh, "What, you so you don't belong here? <laughs> and it was like, well, <laughs> all the equivalent of, you know, you're, 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 so you're, not, you're not a coach or a therapist, what are you doing here? Um, and it's was like, mm, okay. <laughs> yeah, and, and that, that to me,
0: i mean it's interesting you you would you would hope that some well i was going to say you would hope that someone who is a coach or therapist would would know better (laughs) but perhaps they were going there to learn a little bit more about their craft but um that to me speaks of again that that thing i was talking about right at the beginning that almost toxic toxic belonging or that toxic (laughs) clinging on to no this is my group and we we see that play out across the internet we Oof, see that yeah. in in so in so much discourse mm. around that of, of no but this is this is my but this is my place this is where i hang out you can't oh. you know you can't come in here and be neither a coach nor a therapist because yeah. you know now
1: you're in my space yeah yeah because it's it's yeah it's it's it, it's it's a it's a thing about it's when cuz i'm just thinking about identity and when it is, how strongly it can be caught up in our sense of belonging. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. as you say, the in-group and the out-group, if we define our belonging by having a certain identity, certain labels, certain interests, and then we can have this tension. I think Matthew Bellringer in his work talks about this a a lot, about um, um, category violation Mm. Mm. (laughs) I'm like this I like these things if you like these things as well that's violating the categories that means that I'm it doesn't feel safe anymore for me Mm -hmm. to be like this because I consider you something else yes you know and if we like the same things does that change my self-identity you know and this is you know, and we can get into this kind of thing of, you know, the story that we tell ourselves about ourselves and the world, really, that can be so hard for people to see mm-hmm. in ourselves. You know, we all have our cognitive biases and just but recognizing that, you know, we are, we are story-making creatures. Mm and just coming up with stories to explain ourselves to ourselves and the world. And if someone happens to impinge on that narrative um, our, and our sense of identity, our sense of belonging, our sense of who we are gets threatened. You know, but like I say, you know, at the beginning, you know, this, this is like a fundamental need that we have and people yeah. act in very reactive ways. Yeah.
0: So how can we increase a sense of belonging for others
1: i think this is a really important one because it's really you know ties in with what we've been talking about and you know in renee brown's book um atlas of the heart you know she talks about some lovely research uh, and some very important research actually um by um gregory walton and shannon t brady because about belonging uncertainty Mm. And, you know, she says that it is, more, a, more, it is a more general inference drawn from cues, events, experiences, and relationships about the quality of fit or potential fit between oneself and a setting. This experience is a feeling of being accepted, included, respected in, and contributing to a setting or anticipating the likelihood of developing this, this feeling. And actually, you know, bringing this in, there's an awful lot of talk now about you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion, DEI work. And, you know, Bre- Brene Brown talks in the book, you know, about how actually the the key part of that is belonging. Mm-hmm. That's what underpins all of that. Um, and so there are a number of ways of this, you know, if you're thinking about in kind of like a structural sense, you know, being talking about enc- encouraging creating safe and brave spaces is something that Lana Yelenev is doing you know and performing the line. the lion's share of emotional labor to help someone communicate what it is that they need to feel like they belong you know how can people bring their full selves into a space without uh, negative repercussions or judgments
0: how so I want to I want to take that take that 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 whole thing there and how do we make that practical is that Mm. uh so if for example the next time we're at a, a work event mm. and you know like a, a conference or a or a convention or something like that and we feel sort of secure enough maybe that that we we sort of feel safe in this environment but maybe we spot someone else who is looking a bit lost or a bit sort of on isolated or on their own or doesn't know who to speak to is it about going up then and and making that connection with them and and showing them that they 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 do belong here.
1: I think that is the thing. I mean, ideally because very often people may not even get into the space in the first place because mm. the way things are communicated um you know like I, you said
0: right from the beginning this is this event is not for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it's implicit. It's, yes. you know, conversations about if if someone doesn't talk about disabled access, <laughs> yep. if someone doesn't think, you know, say there's, there's a quiet room for, you know, a silent room for people with neurodiversity to chill out, mm-hmm. you know, if there's not like designated spaces, things articulated and not just saying, you know, that, yeah, you know, th- there's a lift or whatever. Um, actually breaking it down and having someone on the, the organizational team who has lived experience of, you know, different accessibility needs and riders, because with the best will in the world, you know, oh, oh, and having a, a couple of people actually, because you may have, you know, I, I have mobility issues, but I'm I'm not able, I'm just one person. I wouldn't be able to be able to advise on everything, having you know, a couple of different people, you know, just checking things over and giving their feedback so that in the first instance, even before that person gets in the room, they have a sense that I am explicitly welcome here. You know, the organizers have explicitly thought about someone like me, and and rather than having the usual line of, if you have any accessibility issues, just email us. Actually say, here's a tick, but here's a checklist. You know, this is doing the emotional labor first. What sort of things do you need? Do you need, um, you know, I often need like a carer, um, you know, a, 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 a volunteer to support me, you know, in, in these environments. Actually, you know, thinking ahead and actually having people and even making the contact. And so you can have like, you know, rather than just being lumbered with someone, you know, there's like a couple of people. And if you don't get on, you know, you can find someone else, you know. (laughs) But honestly, you know, it's, so it's about creating that space and just remembering, you know, the late Christopher Peterson, one of the fathers of positive psychology, you know, summed up the field. This is the three words, other people matter. Mm. And actually conveying that um oh sorry to go on a quote first but one of my favorite quotes is by John Tarrant Roshi uh, a Buddhist master who says you know attention is the most basic form of love through it be blessed and are blessed and actually it's just that quality of paying attention that can really be so helpful in that and approaching someone in a safe and grounded space you know if you're flustered and they're a bit anxious as well you're just basically going to amplify each other this is what polyvagal theory points to you know the whole co-regulation thing and so just being able to be uh calm and friendly respectful you know the way we approach someone can actually um really help with whether we Trigger someone's fight or flight response or not, you know, come, come on straight on rather than from the side, you know, give personal distance, make eye contact first. And then, you know, in a more, in a more general setting, you know, because this is, you know, this is like a, you know, meeting strangers or whatever, actually having conversations with people in our lives you know, about their experience, about what's going on for them, about showing acceptance and not just commiserating with the bad stuff. Actually, there's something called um, active constructive responding, which shows that some of the most wonderful connection can be delivered and created not just from empathizing with the bad stuff, but actually hearing someone's good news and amplifying that and asking more about that. It's so uh, you know we think that, oh, you know, misery loves company, and that's the most sympathetic thing to do, and it is you know not not throwing that out with the bath water but but you know, particularly in the u k, you know we may feel um shy or that we're going to be you know the tall poppy syndrome, if something mm-hmm. good's happened in our life, we're going to be cut down for it, actually having someone who says, "Oh, that sounds amazing, you seem really energized about that. Tell me more because then you're basically increasing the other person's positive emotions and, you know, you're going to be this beautiful amplification effect. And to be honest, it's quite rare to find someone who on hearing good news goes, oh, that's amazing, tell me more, rather than, oh, lucky you. Oh, you know, when that when that happened to me, this happened, or or, or <laughs> gives you that sense of, oh, don't get too big for your boots, you yes. know. Well, how
0: can I make it about me again?
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 how can I make it about me yeah. again, you know? Um, well actually,
0: to make it about me again um that that I love that because if i'm if i'm completely honest with you mm. I was going to say i don't care about people's good news that's not that's not that's not true i do I, <laughs> I care about people's good news i don't care about the details of people's good news. what I care about is people feeling good and i like to i like it when people feel good i like it when you know especially if i you know it's a bit selfish if I can make someone feel good I like it and so mm. I like that invitation then to ask for that not because you need the information, but because the other person could use that moment to go, Oh yeah, actually, you know what? I haven't been celebrated uh, for this. like, I actually, I really like it when people say things like, this is really small. This is going to be really small, but I did this thing today or like (laughs) those kind of things. I just, I'm just like anything that's, that's kind of uh, maybe a little bit under, under underappreciated or stuff. like That's when I'm like, Oh, tell me, tell me, because like, I really like those little things, but I really appreciate that invitation to, yeah, to, to to say, tell me more about it. Not because you actually need to know or even want to know, but because you can help that person celebrate and feel better and, and potentially create a, a better bond as well. And also just leave them with a a little bit of a, of a sense of sunshine that they may not have other, otherwise had if you'd have just gone, ah, well done.
1: <laughs> yeah, because there's something about, for me this quality of witnessing another person, Mm. you know. And, you know, going back to the the previous episode about acceptance, you know, accepting not just the parts of us which we feel, you know, shame about or guilt about or uncomfortable with, but also accepting, you know, our gifts, our abilities, our, our accomplishments, our achievements, you know, without it necessarily... Because this this can often be the thing, you know. Someone's brightness can cause can for many of us cast a shadow on our own deficiencies, mm-hmm. you know. And to so actually being able to go to, to 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 recognize some discomfort, you know. Sometimes you know the the, the, the green eyed monster comes up, and it can be a really helpful sign to go. Ah, if you're feeling jealous or envious, this is a sign that you want this for yourself.
0: Yes and and or you've just again you've made it about you, and I, I'm yeah. really ping, that's really pinging for me at the moment, so yeah
1: yeah, yeah, and just there's a there's a there's a kindness the, to 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 having a delight that I think it's Tony Morrison, I need to double check the quote, but she says that something along the lines of you know you know when a child enters a room, he wants the eyes of every adult in it to light up with their presence.
0: When a forty-year-old man called Mark enters the room, that's exactly what he wants. <laughs> but yeah,
1: <laughs> and and it is being able to have, you know, if you think about this 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 childlike quality within us that, that is wanting to be, to be witnessed, to be paid attention to, to to to, to be loved, to feel the sense of belonging, you know, being able to respond in this in an active way you know, actually asking questions and being po- and being constructive, you know, kind of not just listening and taking things apart, but like building on that and being this level of attunement so that you respond with a level of excitement and enthusiasm and, and frankly delight. You know, how, how beautiful would that be to not just to receive, but to give that gift to someone who you care about?
0: On that note then, um, would you like to take us home with a blessing for belonging? I
1: would, I would. And I had to go for John O'Donohue, who um, has so many beautiful blessings at the end of, uh, for, for so many different things. And this is, you know, for belonging. May you listen to your longing to be free. May the frames of your belonging be generous enough for your dreams. May you arise each day with a voice of blessing whispering in your heart. May you find a harmony between your soul and your life. May the sanctuary of your soul never become haunted. May you know the eternal longing that lives at the heart of time. May there be a kindness in your gaze when you look within. May you never place walls between the light and yourself. May you allow the wild beauty of the invisible world to gather you, mind you, and embrace you in belonging.
0: Speaking of kindness, I think we have one final invitation.
1: We do. And, you know, thank you for listening. And I would just love you to yeah, just ask yourself right now, maybe even place your hand on your heart if it feels comfortable to do so, and just ask yourself, you know, what's the kindest thing you can do for yourself right now? Even just a little bit. And, yeah, and I'd love to give you the permission to go and, to go and do that right now. The
0: A to Z of Happiness is presented by Anya Pearce and me, Mark Stedman. It's produced by Origin and you can find us at a2zofhappiness.com where you'll also find links to the things we discussed. If you know someone who could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them whichever way is easiest for you. Take care and do join us again next week on the A to Z of Happiness.